All right, let's just get it over with. Who watched Mayweather and McGregor last night? All right. How many of you did not watch Mayweather and McGregor last night? <laughs> okay, so we definitely are not a boxing church. Can I just say that? That's about the same thing that happened in the first service. Now, I, I actually went to a friend's house and watched it because I was told, right, that this would be the fight of a lifetime. And so if I'm going to, like, in my lifetime, I better experience this if I'm going to have fullness of life. So, so I was there, baby, right? Now, did you guys know this? So here's the deal. A seat, okay? So if you, you, if you pay per viewed last night, it was $99 just to watch this fight. Okay, that's probably why most of you didn't watch it. But if you actually bought a seat at the T-Mobile Arena on Friday, the night before, the cheapest ticket, cheapest, for this fight was $1,335. If you were doing nosebleeds, baby, you were paying over $1,300. The average ticket price was $3,521. Now, if you were ringside, if you were A-Rod and J-Lo, right? <laughs> if you got to sit in the front row, $79,000 a ticket. Sweetness. All right. So I, I wonder, because first service, nobody sat in the front row, and I thought maybe we changed the price for sitting here in the front, but <laughs> apparently not. You guys are here, so... All right. Well, I, I just want to share with you uh, a little bit of this. But to sit, right? I mean, if to can you imagine even having $79,000 to throw at a ticket or, or being, you know, get the camera on you? I mean, the, the, whoever you were in the presence of the front row. Um, so I just want to share with you three quick stories of me going to the palace. Now, uh, the palace is actually where the Pistons play or where they played. I just read that they're shutting down the palace. Pistons are going downtown Detroit, which you guys could care less about. <laughs> But for a long time, the Detroit Pistons played in the palace. So let me give you three stories of my experience of finding a seat in the palace. The first one is uh, a first date, okay? So a first date with this girl, I get tickets to the palace. Now, when I get tickets to a basketball game, I usually sit in the nosebleeds. Anybody else? Any of you jazz fans, right? You get stuck in the nosebleeds. And I will say, out of all sports, sitting in the upper realms for basketball is the worst because they're down there. So... I had a buddy who found out I was going on this first date, and he was an usher for the Pistons. So he told me, he's like, dude, just come in, come on down, and I will get you a seat close to the floor. I'm like, sweet, I'm going to look good on this first date, right? So I take her, we go down, and Mark Cobbett, my friend, he goes, hey, just sit right here. So we have a seat. Five minutes later, those people come. So I'm like, okay, that's okay, listen. Mark goes, just sit over here. I'm like, okay, come here, come here. We sit down here. Two minutes later, those people come and go, those are our seats. We're like, all right, this is getting really embarrassing. Stand up, Mark's like, just wait. It's, it's already been like 10, 15 minutes in the game. Nobody else shows up. Just sit right here. Third time was not the charm. Two minutes later, those people come <laughs> and kick us out. And everybody in the section, as we walked where we belong, was waving to us, right? <laughs> and what are they saying? You don't belong here, right? Get to the nosebleeds where you belong. That was my first experience. She actually went out with me again, which was pretty amazing. Um, okay, second, second story. I actually got to do the chapel for the Pistons one time. And so when you do the chapel, both teams get together. You go to this locker room and you do the chapel, but it's an hour before the game. So when I was done with the chapel, it's like we just went into the palace and 
took a seat. I brought a buddy with me and I said, hey, well, it's an hour before the game. Let's just sit right at center court, two rows above where the tables are, right? Where all the reporters and everything are and the scorekeepers. So we're sitting there and I said, just when, other, when people come, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll go find our seat. So we're sitting there and sure enough, people start trickling into the palace, getting their seats and people come down our row and they sit right next to us. And we're like, cool. So we just kept sitting there and all of a sudden these people came and I'm like, we're out of here. And they sat right next to us. So I looked at my buddy and I said, well, let's just stay here. <laughs> Nobody took our seats <laughs> the whole time. So we got to watch the game right at center court, two, feet, two, two seats away. But you know what was weird was the whole time I'm sitting there, I'm like, I really shouldn't be here. Right? And so it's kind of hard because the whole time you're thinking, oh, man, somebody's going to take us. Third story. I get a call from Harold McDonald. And Harold McDonald was the agent for Terry Mills, who was a forward at the time for the Pistons. And Harold said, hey, there's this young girl I'd really like to introduce you to. How about coming to the Pistons game with me? I'm like, sweet. So I come to the Pistons game. He says, show up an hour early because he takes us right into the bowels of the palace into this beautiful private room for dinner together, right? And then he takes us into the palace. We walk all the way down and we sit right on the floor. And I'm sitting there and the difference is I'm going, and I'm supposed to be here, <laughs> right? Like there's no fear, man. I got the invitation and I'm supposed to be sitting in these seats, right? It's a great feeling. Why'd I share those stories with you? I believe that in this room, all of us fall into one of those categories with God. Some of you are trying to get close to God, but you know you just don't belong. And you feel like you're supposed to be in the nosebleeds. And you feel he's too good, you failed too much, you sinned too much. There's no way that God would really want to have anything to do with your life. And when you get close, you feel the nudge and somebody says, get back to where you belong. Some of you feel that way with God. Others of you, <clears throat> I would say you're Christian, but you're sitting at center court and you're going, but I really shouldn't be here. Because of who I am and what I do, <laughs> this is really not my seat. And then others of you, you have totally responded to the invitation and you're enjoying courtside. You're enjoying the $79,000 seat right on the floor, close with God. And here's what I want to share with you this morning. I believe that God wants every one of you in this room to know that you have an invitation to sit ringside. You have an invitation to sit in the front row. You are that valuable to God. And it's that intimacy with him that he wants every one of you to experience in this room. Okay, so let me pray, and as I do, if you walked in and you aren't feeling that with God today, then open up your heart to him and say, Lord, man, I'd love to know you better than I do right now. Okay, let's pray. Father, I do ask, simply in the name of Jesus, that you would come and minister your grace to everyone in this room. I pray you would reveal the truth of who you are because all of us have warped views. All of us have mindsets of you that just aren't true, and they totally hinder the reality of what we could be experiencing on this planet. So now I just ask,
Because Jesus, you said, we got a good dad. And how much more would he give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So on behalf of everyone here, I'm asking, would you just fix your eyes on this auditorium, on every heart that's in this room? Would you give us the Holy Spirit so we can hear your voice, so the eyes of our heart could be enlightened, so we could actually see the reality of what we have? And we pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so here we go. Got a story for you that I'm going to share. And uh, it's in 2 Samuel chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles, you definitely want to, want to open them up and just follow through 2 Ch- Samuel chapter 9. Um, open up your phone if you want to. Follow it on there. Uh, again, K2's app has all the notes and all the scripture right there if you want to use the K2 app. This is a story that I read three years ago. And just in my own personal time with God, sitting out in the summer, it was July of 2014, and I was uh, having my time with Jesus. And I read this story, and it profoundly affected me. Here we go. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. Oh, let me, actually, let me set this up real quick. <laughs> okay. So we did this whole series on David. You guys remember? Just the summer, talked about David. Where we're at, where this is David again in this story, and what's happening is in chapter 8, David has finally become king, right? Saul, who was trying to kill him, has been, he's, he was killed in battle, and now David was summoned to be king, but he had to fight, he had to restore, he, and he's finally settled in the palace. Uh, chapter 8 is the sense where David is finally king over everybody, all right? And here's the first thing he does, chapter 9. He asks, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba, and they summoned him to appear before David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. And the king asked, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? And Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. You guys remember, if you remember Jonathan, Jonathan is Saul's son, and Jonathan is David's best friend, okay? And there is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame or crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. And Ziba answered, he is at the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel. And when Mephibosheth, you guys just try to say that. Okay, I've been practicing all week, okay? So just give me a break. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to him in honor. And David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, said David, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. And Mephibosheth bowed down And he said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? And we're going to stop here for a second. In that culture, completely opposite of ours, the dog was considered the lowest possible animal on the totem pole. Okay? So what Mephibosheth is saying is, I am a nobody. But no, I'm actually lower than a nobody. He goes, I'm not just a dog. I am a dead dog. What in the world are you having anything to do with me? 
See, now you need to understand this, because Mephibosheth is in the line of Saul. Saul, his grandfather, tried to kill David over and over again. This is his lineage. And then when Saul died, now all of a sudden, David is the king, <laughs> right? So, and you need to understand this, culturally, when a new king, in this time period, if a new king came into power, if there was anyone left from the family of the previous king, what would they do? <laughs> They'd wipe them out. They wanted to have no competition. So Mephibosheth is a huge social outcast here. <laughs> He's in the lineage of Saul, and he should be wiped out by David. But then what happened was, after David took over the kingship, Two men went after Ishbosheth, which was, these guys' names, Meshibosheth's <laughs> uncle. They came in and they murdered his uncle because he was in the lineage of Saul. And Meshibosheth's uh, handmaiden, who was taking care of him, picked him up, ran out the door, and dropped him, and he broke both of his feet, and he was crippled. So now, not only is he a social cast, outcast, he is physically unable to do anything on his own, and he's absolutely dependent of others. So in Mephibosheth's eyes, can you now picture this? He's being summoned by the king, and he is a nobody. Now, so I'm just going to be totally honest with you. And sure, when I read this, as soon as I got to this verse, I'm sitting outside in my backyard, and I said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? It was really weird. Um, I just started crying. And so I actually went back, because I, I, I write out my prayers. It's kind of my journaling. And I, every time I spend any time in the Word, I write it out. So I have like all the books of the Bible, just my own personal reflections on it. So I actually looked back. It was, it was uh, July, 20, July 14th. 2014, so it was three years ago. And when I read this, I was going personally just through a super intense time. Personally and professionally, I totally was battling the feelings that I was a failure. Um, I was not living up to my own standards. Anybody ever been there before? <laughs> so I was constantly struggling with myself I felt like I wasn't living up to my standard as a husband or a father. The real, I'm going to be totally honest with you, the real struggle was I've, I totally felt like I was not living up to the standard that you guys had for me. So as a pastor, I felt like I was totally failing. And what's really weird is when your job is to care for the church and the church is the body of Christ. No pressure, right? <laughs> And um, no, but seriously, the biggest struggle in my heart was I was absolutely convinced that I was not living up to God's standard for me and that I was failing him. And so as soon as I read this, I just started weeping. And here, I'm just going to read you a short paragraph from my prayer time. I said, oh, the deep sighs and tears that have poured themselves out of me after reading this verse. Every deep breath I breathe out, I find myself hoping it will contain the evil thoughts within me. This deep down feeling that I am nothing but a dead dog to my God. 
with the tears and the mucus that are escaping my body carry with them the wrong thinking and the twisted darkness that surrounds my heart and my mind. This has so surprised me. I didn't even know I was feeling this. I wasn't until I read this. This has so surprised me, but obviously it is within me. And almost immediately after reading this verse, I just started to cry. Can I, no, can I, can I ask you a question? Have you ever felt like a dead dog? Have you ever felt like you just can't measure up? That you can't do what God's asking you to do? That you can't be the husband or the wife or the father or the mother? Do you ever feel like a dead dog? I'm just, I'm just, I mean, it's, it's super like, because I'm like the pastor, so sometimes I feel like I'm supposed to have all this together. Because I actually have a theology degree, right? I went to seminary. But I'm just going to share with you very honestly, this is my battle. And I can go super dark. And I know it's true. But I can't even tell it to myself when it gets really dark in there. So I want you to listen very carefully to what God is revealing when you feel like a dead dog. Because that was an amazing morning to me. And I'm going to walk you through it, okay? Let's keep going through the story. The king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and he said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. And you and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring to the crops so that, bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, the dead dog, <laughs> the grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the Lord's, the king's table. And he was lame in both feet. So I'm going to share with you, I'm going to show you four things that a dead dog receives from David the king. And here's what's crazy, is and I'm going to show you how they are exactly the same four things that God wants to share with you through Jesus Christ. Can I just tell you something? This is super important. Everything, everything in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, actually is about Jesus. Everything in the scripture is to point us to him. Everything beforehand is to set him up so that when he showed, they would, when he showed up on the earth, people would know who he was, and everything written after is to help us to understand what he's done. And in this passage, you're going to see four things that are true in this story between the king and Mephibosheth, the dead dog, that are absolutely true about the king of kings, Jesus, and you, and your dead dog heart, okay? So here we go. Here's a little bit of history. Why did David do this? So 
David and Jonathan, again, so you have Saul, who's trying to kill David, and then Saul's son, Jonathan, is his best friend. There's a story earlier in 1 Samuel chapter 20, where David is absolutely convinced that Saul's going to kill him. And Jonathan's like, no, no, he's not going to kill you. And but David was like, yes, he is. And so Jonathan finally said, Here, okay, here's the deal. You go hide in the field, and I'm going to go to my dad. And if he's not going to harm you, I'll give you a signal, and then you can come back to the palace. He goes, but if he is going to harm you, then I will come to you, and I will send you off in peace, and will save you. So here's what he says in 1 Samuel 20, 13. Jonathan says, if my father intends to harm you, may the Lord deal with Jonathan, be it ever so severely, if I do not let you know and send you away in peace. May the Lord be with you, David, as he has been with my father. But show, and listen to this, but show me unfailing kindness, like the Lord's kindness, as long as I live. So that I may not be killed, and do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. And then later on, so what happens is, Jonathan goes and checks on it, and sure enough, Saul is intending to kill David. So it's an amazing story. David, these two best friends, they come, and Jonathan's going to send them off. They're both weeping. And then Jonathan says to David, go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. So now here we are. Saul's dead, Jonathan's dead, his uncle Ishbosheth is dead, and David remembers what? I made a promise. I made a promise to Jonathan, a covenant to him and with God. And so you guys, here's what's crazy. You know why David was showing kindness to Mephibosheth? That's why. Because David was faithful. He was faithful to the promise that he made. Now, here's the key. All of this was done, right? All these promises were done before Mephibosheth was ever born. <laughs> so uh, this promise to be faithful had nothing to do with him. His grandfather tries to kill David. His dad's killed in battle. His uncle is murdered. He's dropped, and now he's, he's, he's crippled in both of his feet. David's the king. He's a dead dog. And in the midst of all of that feeling, he didn't know the truth. And what was the truth? He was a dead dog, but he was also the son of Jonathan. And David made a promise to Jonathan that his descendants would receive God's kindness. And you guys, this is cool. Here's what I want to tell you. Every one of you in this room, every one of you, have a chance to be the recipient of God's kindness and it has absolutely nothing to do with you. What did Mephibosheth do? What did he do to be summoned by the king? Did he do anything? He did absolutely nothing. So you guys, here's the thing. The first thing that's true is you have a chance to be a recipient of faithfulness, of God's faithfulness through Christ. And here's how this works, man. I'm not going to get into all the scripture, but here's how it works. God also made a covenant in the Old Testament. 
And you can look this up. Write this down. I'm not going to read all the verses. Hebrews chapter 8, starting with verse 8, there's a fulfillment of prophecy of Jeremiah the prophet where God says, I'm going to make a new covenant, and I'm going to make, which means I'm going to make a promise that someday I am going to remove all of your sin so that you can be in relationship with me. And then what's he do? He sends Jesus Christ. And this is Hebrews 9.15. You can look it up. And it says, Hebrews 9.15 says that Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. So the greatest news for you and I today is how can you know today that you can be a recipient of God's kindness? How can you know that? Because he made a promise. And God is faithful to his promises And his promise was, I'm going to send Jesus Christ as the Savior for you who's going to absorb all of your sins so I can completely forgive you totally. And guess what? He made that promise when? Before you were ever born. Mephibosheth, it was all grace. It was all a gift. He did nothing to be summoned by the king. Listen to me, all you religious people. Listen to me. You can do nothing to get God's favor. He just is full of grace. And he made a promise through Jesus Christ in that covenant to forgive you of all of your sins. And I'm going to tell you, there's not a soul in this room. You, every one of you are forgiven. All of your sins were in Christ. All of them. Every one of you in this room. Now all you have to do is respond to the invitation. And that's why at K2 we say our mission is to invite you into this adventure of following God. All right? So there's the first thing, this connection between Mephibosheth and David. David was kind to him because he was faithful. And I'm telling you, God is more faithful to his covenant to forgive you of all of your sin. All right? So that's the first point. Here's the second one. And in 2 Samuel 9, 3, it says, the king asked, is there one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show the kindness of God? In 2 Samuel 9, verse 7, he's, when, right, so Mephibosheth comes in, he's freaking out, he's surely gonna lose his life because he's the last heir of the connection to Saul. And David says, what? Don't be afraid, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. Now, this is super important. Because we need to understand the word kindness. The kindness of God is totally different than when we think of kindness. Because I don't know about you, when I hear the word kind, don't you kind of think the word nice? You know, so you can think, God's just a really nice God, right? <laughs> that is not what this is saying, okay? The very definition of kindness is this. It's a responsible keeping of faith with another with whom one is in a relationship. What this word is, it's I'm faithful to keep my promise. Now, it became translated kindness because one member in the relationship is often in a position to render help or aid to the other person who is for one reason or another in need and unable to help or aid the other person. So what this person is saying is, I am going to move on your behalf. And obviously with David and Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth physically was unable to even care for himself. And in the line, he was a social outcast who should have been killed. He was a person in need. And so what happens is David is faithful to his promise, and he is kind, and he does for Mephibosheth what he couldn't do for himself. That's why lots of times this word is translated grace, loyalty, faithfulness, loving kindness, and mercy. 
Here's what's crazy. Mephibosheth, the dead dog, receives kindness and help because of David's covenant. You guys, this is the kindness of God. And he wants to give it. He is offering it to every one of you in this room to do for you what you can't do for yourself because he's faithful to his covenant. You, numbered, this is the second point, you can receive faith God's kindness through Jesus Christ. Now, we have a perfect story. Amy King, she's one of our volunteer staff. Amy is passionate about adoption and foster care. And so um, she was sharing a story with us a couple weeks ago of, of one of our partnerships that we have here, Royal Family Kids Camp. And, um, and when she shared this story, I'm like, this is a perfect explanation of what God wants to do for you and what David did for Mephibosheth, all right? So let's watch this and then we'll continue. One of the ways that K2 is seeking to be out there is in serving and caring for orphans and vulnerable children. And one of our Levolution partners that helps us to do this is Royal Family Kids Camp, which is a week-long sleepaway camp for kids who are in foster care. I've served at the camp for several years now, and one of my favorite parts is always getting to see the transformation that happens in the kids from when they first arrive on Monday to when they leave on Friday. For some of the kids, it's just that they're shy or a little scared, and so it doesn't really take long for them to settle in. But for others, you can see deep pain on their face about something that they're trying to hide, or you just simply see a look of sadness in their eyes. One of the little girls who came to camp this year, who I'll call Hannah, came in with severely matted hair. You could tell that whoever was caring for her just didn't know how to take care of the type of hair that she had. It was so bad that to me, it seemed like the only solution would have been to cut it all off. The first day of camp is really special, especially for the girls, because in the afternoon, we do a really fancy tea party. And before the party, we have professional hairstylists who come and do each of the girls' hair, and they also get their nails done. And then there's a huge rack of brand new dresses, and each of the girls gets to pick out a dress to wear and then keep. So when it was Hannah's turn to sit down and get her hair done, I honestly had no idea what was going to happen. As she sat there, a few of the different ladies came to look at her hair, and you could just see shame and humiliation wash over her face. She knew her hair was a mess, and she seemed to truly believe that it was somehow a reflection of who she was too. For four straight hours, Hannah sat while the hairdressers untangled every single strand of hair on her head. She sat there clutching a teddy bear that someone had gotten for her, and she didn't say a word the entire time, even though you could tell that at points she just wanted to cry. When they were finished, the transformation of her hair absolutely paled in comparison to the transformation you could see that was happening in her soul. She went and picked out her dress, and when she came out with it on, everyone standing around showered her with words of how beautiful she looked. And you could visibly see that she was starting to believe the words that everyone was speaking to her. That afternoon at the party, the girls decorated picture frames that they could later put a picture in from the party. There were stickers and glitter to decorate the frames with, and then there were also different words and they were asked to pick out two words that they felt described them. And Hannah ended up picking out the words beautiful and brave 
to put on her picture frame. Throughout the rest of the week, I watched as Hannah continued to grow more and more into this new identity of being both beautiful and brave. And by the time camp ended on Friday, she had this confidence and look about her that was 180 degrees different from the little girl she came in as. Watching all of this unfold was just such a beautiful example to me of the transformation that can happen in a person, even in a short amount of time, when their life is touched by the love and care of other people. I just feel like that's the perfect feel. A sense of shame, a sense of not being worthy. I love the fact, right, that the scripture says that God actually knows every hair on your head. And they literally for four hours took every strand of hair that was tangled and mangled and they set it free. Listen, God knows the tangled, mangled heart that you have. He knows where you've blown it. He knows where you've failed. He knows where you feel rejected. He knows your fears and he can take every one of them, strand by strand, with his kindness, and set you free. Mephibosheth was scared to death, but he was shown kindness. And if you feel like a dead dog, today, you can receive the same kindness. Look at this. Titus chapter 3, verse 3 through 7 says this. At one time, We too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, see this, when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things that we had done. There's nothing you can do, just like there was nothing that Thibosheth could do but he saves us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Can you imagine, you guys, what it must have been like for Mephibosheth to go from a crippled outcast who deserved death to eating at the king's table every single day. What is it? What is it like to go from being foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved, broken, having broken hearts of malice and envy and having broken relationships? You guys, what would it be like to go from that to experiencing the washing, the forgiveness, the rebirth a second chance, and renewal. God wants to set every one of you free. That's his kindness. He will do for you what you can't do for yourself. And that's what you can receive through him. So let's go to the third one. 2 Samuel 9, 11, it says, So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Now this is important, right? Because it's like, man, I'm like one of the sons. But what does God say to us, right? In the verse we just read, by his grace, again, by his total gift, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. See, we don't eat at God's table like his children. We actually become his children. (laughs) 
And we sang it, right? In our worship song, did you catch it? It said, I've been born again into your family. Your blood flows through my veins. Oh my gosh, you guys. So here's the third thing you receive. You actually receive adoption. Look at this. Ephesians chapter one. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. How many of you are living that? Experiencing this? See, this, that's what Mephibosheth finally got. He goes, I have all the blessings now. I get to eat at the king's table. And Jesus is saying, guess what? Now God has made a decision, praise you, before he has blessed you in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. It's yours. For he chose us, right? David chose Mephibosheth. He chose us in him before the creation, before the creation of the world. It's like, wait, 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 what did I do to get God's favor? Not then. He chose you before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined, he decided beforehand us, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance, this is, in accordance with his pleasure and his will. I'm telling you, man, God loves you. He absolutely loves you and he's chosen you and there's not one of you in this room that he doesn't want to come to his table and eat at my table. Experience every spiritual blessing in Christ. You are not a dead dog. You are not a zero. You are not rejected. You matter to him. You are precious to him. To the praise of his glorious grace which he's freely given us in the one he loves. Man, and when I think about this adoption, I think about my brother and my, and my sister-in-law. There was this little girl in the inner city of Detroit, abandoned, okay? So she's already the dog. She's already completely an outcast in society. But she was born with so many ailments. She was born at four pounds. Two months later, she still weighed four pounds. And so they finally just realized, it's like, we need, let's see if somebody will take care of them in the foster system. So there was this beautiful couple who, who heard about this little girl who was going to die. All the doctors said she's got one month to live. And so this couple said, well, she should at least be held while she dies. So as they held her, they were feeding her, and then finally something clicked in them, and they said, well, why, instead of giving her this formula, why don't we give her breast milk instead? And sure enough, they give her breast milk, and she starts to come too. You know what they found out? She was born without a pancreas. And they didn't even know this. And so the, the formula was actually killing her, but when she got breast milk, somehow the, pain, the, the lack of the pancreas, it actually started to give her nutrition. So you know what they did? They finally, they put it out on, this, on the news in Detroit and said, would anybody take this dead dog, this one who's gonna die? And it was my brother and his wife. And they adopted little Jaden. And I wanna tell you what? Six years later, my niece Jaden is alive and she's joyful and she's living life, man. And this is what got, and then you know what? So as soon as they adopt Jaden, you know what they find out? They find out she has a little brother and Michael was born a heroin addict. While he was in the womb, his mom was taking heroin. So he was born an addict, another dead dog. And I remember Michael, he was glazed over in his eyes, and whatever he would come to, he would just scream because he was going through withdrawal for the drugs. And Michael, today, is the fun, most joyful little boy you could ever see. 
Mark and Callie took a dead dog and they chose them and they adopted them and they're their kids. And they're alive and they're thriving. That's the picture. That's the picture of every one of you who are in a dark place, who think you don't matter, who fear, who think you're a loser, who think that you failed God. That's a lie from the pit of hell, man. And he wants to adopt you as his child. And then really quickly, what happens? So Mephibosheth, in verse 13, lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. And he was lame in both feet. I love how they threw that up there. Just want you to remember. He was lame in both feet. And David chose him. And now he lives in Jerusalem. He's not in Lobar anymore, you guys. He's in the kingdom. He's in the realm of the king. And here's the last thing I want to tell you. When you become, when you receive Christ, and you receive this rebirth and this renewal and his spirit, and you become his child, you know what happens? You enter his kingdom. And now there's security. Look at this last verse. Giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Are you in the darkness, man? And I'm, and I'm telling you, for some of you who aren't Christians, I just want to tell you right now, you don't have to live in darkness, man. You don't have to live in the nosebleeds. You don't have to be the one that tries to get close to God and get sent back out and say, you're not good enough, get back to where you belong. No, I hope you're here today. God's like, are you kidding me? Come on down, $79,000, that's nothing. I will pay the price, man. I will pay the price for all of your sin through Jesus Christ so you can sit at my table and be with me and live with me every single day. That's this. He wants to rescue you from your dominion of darkness. And same thing with all you Christians who are like me, who battle in here, who can go to dark places. Every time you're told you're not living up to the standard, that is a lie from the pit of hell. There is no more standard because Jesus paid for it completely and there's no condemnation for you anymore. You are a child adopted by God and you're in his kingdom. He's rescued you from the dominion of darkness. He's brought you into the kingdom of the son that he loves in whom you have redemption, the forgiveness of all of your sin. All of it. So what was my issue? I broke into tears and I wept at feeling like I was a dead dog because I fight to believe that I am what I am by the grace of God. And I have to fight that, you guys. But I'm fighting it. That's the good fight of the faith because the truth is I am what I am by the grace of God. He chose me before I was even born. He put Jesus, that whole plan, that covenant was made before I even entered the scene. And God's faithful to it. And as soon as I received him, I received all the benefits. I have every spiritual blessing. I'm a child of the king, and I'm living in his kingdom. Now I say, man, I'm not chosen. Here's why. I am not chosen because of anything I do or don't do. I'm chosen because of the faithfulness of God. I've shown kindness because of his covenant through Christ. I'm adopted by his good pleasure and will. And I'm secure in his kingdom because all my sin is forgiven. So what is said here, and we'll close with this, 
It said Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the table. So here we go. Here's your table. And the table that we as Christians are invited to always eat at is the table that Jesus said this. He goes, listen, you guys, I want you to remember what I've done for you. You know, so interesting, I'm in the book of Acts right now in my own personal time. And as soon as the church started, as soon as all these men and women were filled with the Spirit of God, it says one of the things that they did is they, were, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. They devoted themselves to taking communion. You know why? Because you and I, on a regular basis, need to remember. You need to remember that Jesus Christ, that God is faithful to forgive you because of Christ. God absolutely wants to show you kindness. And how did he show you kindness? He did for you what you couldn't do. He paid for your price. He bought your ticket so you could come. You didn't have to pay a thing. You just had to say, yes, that's all I had to say to Harold McDonald. I just had to say, okay. And I did. Will you receive him? And Christian, if you're being beat down, then come and eat at the table. Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem in the kingdom because he kept eating at the table of the king. You can live in God's kingdom of righteousness and peace and joy, but you got to keep eating at the table of the king. Okay? You got to keep remembering it's not about your performance, it's not about your standards, it's not about how good you are, it's about how great Jesus is. It's about what he did for you, and he's done it for you. God's up here going, come on, man, quit buying the lie and groveling in the darkness. I've rescued you from the kingdom of darkness. You are not my child. You should be free. So, man, some of you need to come up to this table. And I want to tell you, man, in my Methodist background, sometimes we would just come up here, and I actually, the arts team did a phenomenal job creating this table for me. Some of you just need to come up here, and you need to take this, this, this juice, and you need to take the bread, and some of you just need to sit at his table. Come and eat at my table and remember, I love you so much that I gave my life for you. This is my body, man. I broke it for you. All of your sin was in my body so that you never have to pay the penalty for your sin. <laughs> Rejoice in that. Believe that. Fight the good fight of faith. And then he said, and don't forget, man, there's no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. And I shed my blood on your behalf. You are totally forgiven by my faithfulness, by my kindness, by my adopting you, by my kingdom. Live, live in the kingdom of God. Be free. So anytime during the song, as the, as the art teams come, at any time, come up here. Take this bread. Take this juice. If you want, some people first service, just we made it big and long, so you could just, if you want to just sit here, then just do. If you want to bow down before him, just do it. And let his grace wash over you again. And then we're going to have prayer people at the end, right over here behind this table, and prayer people right over here at the end. And if some of you are going, you know what? I need the grace of Jesus. I have never received him into my life. And if you want to receive his forgiveness, if you want to receive his blessing, if you want to become adopted into the family of God, 
if you want to come down to the front row and have the person going, I've been waiting for you. This is your seat. Get out of the nosebleeds, baby, and come home and eat at my table. Meet one of those people at the end of the table and let them pray for you and make your decision to receive Christ, all right? At any time, eat, take it here, take it back to your seat, just engage with the grace and the love of God. Let's do it together.